Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, as well as equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm Spiritual Engagement Coordinator for Indiana Wesleyan University. And my guest this week is Amy Peeler. Amy is no stranger to the show. She's a scholar, especially of New Testament with a specialty in the book of Hebrews, but a a thoughtful and wise preacher and teacher of the scriptures uh, as a whole. So it's a delight to have her for the first time in an Old Testament passage as we look at Psalm 29. So we're looking at Psalm 29 today. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already, so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show on so that others may benefit as well. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show as well as receive some additional content, simply go to patreon.com slash fresh to become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Amy. So Psalm 29. Yeah. Psalm 29. You want to read it or you want me to? What's your whatever what's your you prefer. Today? Yeah, I'm I'm happy to. Go for it. Okay. And I'm reading out of the NRSV. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all say glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, you are full of glory, and it is our duty and honor to ascribe that glory to you. And Lord, your voice is glorious and mighty. And so we long to hear your voice, even as we tremble a bit at what it means to truly hear you. And so we ask, I guess, what seems to be the only petition in this psalm, there in the last sentence, asking for you, O Lord, to grant peace, and grant strength. So bless your people, Amy, myself, and all those listening in. Bless us with strength and give to us peace, strength to understand in a manner appropriate, to understand these words, and a peace that passes understanding when we run up to the limits of our understanding, and even as we seek to understand, may we find a peace that's deeper than just getting it and grasping it and having a plan on how to preach or teach or lead or learn, 
grant us a peace that runs with and under and through our attempt to understand. So God bless us with peace and with strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, Amy. So uh, what do you notice in this psalm? What what catches your attention today? Well, I... um... Let's see. It's um. I think this is a great exercise for me because if I'm thinking correctly, this will be the first time that I will do an Old Testament text with you, and so that puts me in the place of uh, not kind of depending upon an expertise. Like I might be raising more questions than uh, observations, but I think that's how many preachers approach the text. Right? Not everyone has the opportunity to be kind of marinating in biblical studies all week. So a lot of things are like, oh, I think I heard something about this. What was that? And and take <laughs> a bit more research. So the thing, the reason why I gravitated toward this Psalm is that first line really ascribed to the Lord, oh, heavenly beings, the way the NRSV translated, but it really is sons of God. And yeah. I had spent a little bit of time with this text and others in which angels are called son of God. And so that's what kind of made me say, oh, this is one that I've I've thought about before. And I do think that's rather interesting. So that's kind of the first thing that leaps off for me. But then this theme of glory, as we reread it together, that definitely became very prominent in the reading. So... Yeah, well, let's start with that opening line then. Mm. And it raises really good translational questions Mm -hmm. about poetry and how to translate it well and scripture and what happens to scripture when we make use of it Mm. in public Mm -hmm. and in a context of worship and the possibility of creating distraction Mm. and confusion Mm -hmm. in ways that, you know, Mm. I mean… When you and I have our our like classroom teacher hats on, it's very easy for us like, oh, well, like let's go with the stark translation that gets uh-huh. your attention and because it creates a, a disorienting mm-hmm. dilemma that gets the student drawn in, right? But then you ask, boy, you know, for a lot of people who don't get to spend a lot of time in the scriptures and this might be the only time they'll hear this psalm in a few years, right? you know, is it worth it yes. to create that confusion or is it good for ESV, NIV, NRSV, they all do it. They all say heavenly beatings or mighty ones. Mm-hmm. You know, they try to soften the the starkness of Bene yes. Elohim. Right. <laughs> Sons right. of God. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's incredibly wise. I mean, it's it's a good reminder that um scriptural study for preaching. I think should take multiple days and maybe some yeah. of those early days are doing the kind of fun discovery process, but then mm. to step back from that and say, Oh, I've discovered several interesting things, but then really prayerfully say just exactly what you're articulating, but which one is worthy of my people getting to hear, right? God willing, they are also studying their scriptures and, and can look at the resources, but you really only have a chance for people to retain one or two points. And so you do need the leading of the spirit to say is kind of an intellectual puzzle worth the time. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. And there's other opportunities, right? I don't mean to say that preaching has to be anti-intellectual. I think there's other places too, hopefully in the life of the church where that kind of digging into scripture happens. But for people who are hurting or confused in that moment, there really does need to be a reception of clear teaching and clear Mm. truth. 
truth. So yeah, I think that's, that's why if you just, I, I mean, I may realize that in a pastor's life that's preaching weekly, maybe this is much harder than in mine where I preach monthly, but if you're just prepping on a Saturday, you might not have the distance, the chronological distance to know what really matters and what doesn't, but at least if you yeah. have a week, then you have a few days to really consider that. Yeah. Well, I, we've just said all this and now it just occurs to me that to say heavenly beings, mighty ones is ironically, even though it's less wooden, is ironically probably more, it's, it's helping mm-hmm. the reader picture how this might have been taken. Right. But for a contemporary Christian audience, sons of God actually doesn't ring weird at all. Mm. I mean, that's just like, like, that's normal language in terms of Paul. Right. Right. I mean, it's like, so that's true. Hmm. I mean, in some ways, part of the struggle is a quote, more literal translation might actually produce a less literal sense. Right. Right. Yes. (laughs) Is that making sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Again, and that's, that's an intellectual puzzle for the background. I mean, right. But it is, it is a curious one. And like you said, I mean, you can bring an intellectual puzzle into a, into a sermon if it's on point, if it's, if it's part of the process of what you're wanting to focus on. But right. as an aside, it's just a distraction. But. Right, right. My interest in this is that I was starting with Hebrews, unsurprisingly, where the name of son, uh, it seems like something that differentiates Christ from the angels. And so I was led here with, well, if really son makes him different than the angels, there are places where angels are called sons. So I could see it be of benefit if you were somehow going to make a point about Christ's uniqueness, then that might be valid here. I I would think you would need to link it to Hebrews in some way. So there could be reason for pausing to consider that kind of unusual way of speaking of the angels. But if you could find a connection between the Lord's glory and how we actually perceive God's glory now, which is preeminently in Christ, I could see a pathway to including that in your discussion, but I wouldn't want to take out that first phrase of one in a way that distracts from what seems to be the main emphasis of the Psalm itself. Well, and it could be, I mean, of course, a lot of, a lot of people don't preach on the Psalms Mm -hmm. on one level. I I get that they're texts that aren't meant to be preached as Mm -hmm. much as prayed. Mm -hmm. And so that's okay. On one level, that's a recognition of what the Psalms are. Right. On the flip side, preaching's weird on all these texts. Right. Uh, it's always weird. Uh. So <laughs> there's always a genre confusion going on. So so part of me wants to encourage people to experiment with teaching and preaching the Psalms. And in this particular instance, most of the Psalms in the lectionary, which we use as a jumping off point, we don't have to slavishly follow, but Psalms tend to be selected for the way that they connect with the theme of the day. Exactly. Normally, normally I save that for like the end of our, you know, for mm. our last segment, but I think it's worth bringing up now because it's right here on the, on the front. Yeah. This connection with Christ, because I mean, this is for the first Sunday of the epiphany season, right. which is the baptism day. So I yeah. assume it's some of this, the glory that the father is giving to the son right? or maybe the voice over the waters. I mean, you could see. Oh Yeah. I'm guessing it's the voice over the waters business is uh-huh. probably what what they were grabbing. And I feel like some of those intertextual connections are okay to mention even this early. So let's take a quick break and uh, come back and explore this some more. 
And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Amy Peeler, and we're looking at Psalm 29. I gave her a few to choose from, and she picked 29. She didn't know that 29 happens to be one of my favorites. Ah. I really love this psalm. Mm. For whatever reason, I chose to pray this psalm on the first day of the first week of intro theology in my first class that I taught at the seminary that I now don't work for anymore, but but did for over over a decade. Yeah. And because I just did it the first time, like I just kept it. And it was it was the first day psalm. Wow. For like a decade. Wow. So I have this special attachment to this psalm. But here I'll I'll, let me read it again. This is this is from Robert Alter's translation, which I've been using a lot lately just for fun. So grant to the Lord, O sons of God Grant to the Lord glory and strength. Grant to the Lord the honor due his name. Bow to the Lord in holy majesty. The Lord's voice is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over the mighty waters. The Lord's voice in power. The Lord's voice in majesty. The Lord's voice breaking cedars. The Lord shatters the Lebanon cedars, and he makes Lebanon dance like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The Lord's voice hews flames of fire. The Lord's voice makes the wilderness shake. The Lord makes the Kadesh wilderness shake. The Lord's voice brings on the birth pangs of does and lays bare the forests, and in his palace all says glory. Hmm. The Lord was enthroned at the flood, and the Lord is enthroned as king for all time. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Hmm. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Did you take the chance then to reflect on the psalm or was it just kind of a prayer to get things going and you kind of just let it hover? <laughs> well, I mean, over time it became like a whole half hour, you know, like on the Got first it. day, okay. you know, but it grew, it grew <laughs> over time. Uh huh. Well, one of the, I, I, I usually prayed a prayer mm-hmm. based on it. So I would just start talking to God and I would okay. use this as a structure I see. And it, I mean, it was a little bit of a stunt, you know, because I'd say, let us pray, you know, and then like I bow my head and it's like, and then we come up with an amen like 20 minutes later, you know. So I like, oh, I wow. okay. would okay. do this like, I mean, I shouldn't say it's a stunt. I meant it, but, uh-huh. and one of the observations of the text that informed that prayer was that it has loosely a, a three part structure, mm-hmm. at least in terms of focus, right? So you've right. got the opening two verses. That are kind of this call to worship. Yeah. They're imperatives, right? They're they're spoken to you could even see this being used in the context of temple worship, like right. calling people to give God glory, right? Then this middle section, which runs from three through nine, all on the voice of the Lord, mm-hmm. is kind of that center. And then this concluding statement, ten and eleven. But but nine kind of ends with it kind of does an inclusio brings you back to that glory theme right so there's still a continuity there even though it shifts to these indicatives it's just it's narrating the power of the Lord's voice mm-hmm. and then the last two verses make this statements about the Lord's enthronement 
then kind of have this, you know, either again, there's a translational question with 11, whether this could be like a benediction, Mm -hmm. you know, may the Lord do this, or it could be like a petition, you know, Lord, please do this, right? You could take it in either way, but. I don't know. So it just has an, from a structural point of view, it just has an amazing flow. It's like, it is basically has the whole structure of like a worship service. Right. right. <laughs> it's like yeah. you get the, you know, the call to worship, uh-huh. the, the word of God, you know, then, you know, the, the sending out and grant, you know, it almost has a benediction at the end. It's almost right. like perfect, mm. you know, it's just really cool. Absolutely. That's good. Yeah. So what do you think's going on with this Lord, the voice of the mm-hmm, Lord? Mm-hmm. Like that's this, that's kind of the body of this Psalm, either in terms of ancient Israel mm-hmm. or later Christian use of this. And you can start or contemporary senses you, you pick, I, you yeah. pick it up wherever you like, Amy. But what is that phrase voice of the Lord? What connections yeah. are you inclined to make with that? It definitely seems that the beginning is meant to evoke the creation narrative, right? God speaks over the chaos, over the waters, and all things come into existence. So God's power, that really seems to be the focus of three and four. The mention then of of Lebanon and Syrian, the other nations. Um, Where's that, Syrian? I know Lebanon's north of Israel. I, I don't, I've never heard of Syrian other than in the Psalm. In I never looked Psalm, it up. Precisely. No, this would be a place that I would need to do some digging. It would be kind of on my first pass through the text. One of the first things I would do is to investigate kind of historical mentions that I'm not aware of. So that's one of the first things that I would need to know, to know how to situate it. So I don't know I would imagine some kind of God um, sovereign over the nations theme. Um, but then in in seven and eight, you definitely are, at least for me, there's echoes of Sinai and the, and the people in front of the mountain receiving the law. And this is when they are afraid of the Lord's voice and ask that Moses speak instead. And so that inaugural moment of the formation of the people Then nine is really interesting, and I would want to investigate the language here. So if you look at the the Hebrew, you've got really different translations, right? I don't know if you're noticing that as well, but the voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl. That's what the NRSV gives us. But they have a note there, which is what I'm looking at in the text itself. Or it could be, or causes the deer to calve, uh, the deer to travail in labor. Well, that's wildly different pictures. So I'm sure it's it's an issue of how the the markings of of the Hebrew get translated, but that's another place that I'd need to do a bit more research to see what that stanza and then you get the conclusion of of glory. So it does seem to be you have like the formation of all things with creation, the formation of Israel with the giving of the law, uh, God's sovereignty over the nations, and then it resolves in the place where um, God's voice is speaking, or at least people are speaking in the temple. Now, that's really interesting. You get really a response, right? You've gotten the right. whole, the voice of the Lord, voice of the Lord. And then in that last stanza nine, in his temple, all say. So now people get to to speak back. Yeah. And one little twist is the possibility. I think this is, the grammar would permit this. Mm-hmm. and And I think Alter's trying to do that in his weird translation when he says, and in his palace, all says glory. Uh-huh. I think it's trying to capture that it could be a statement about 
it might not be people saying glory. Ah, okay. It could be the stuff, right? Like, right, like the, right. the, the glory of God is being manifest, communicated through the furnishings of the glory. Oh, I mean, the, right. fur- the furnishings of the temple, right? I see. Yes. Um, I, I like introducing that. I, I think that the call and response vibe is like, might be my favorite thing about the psalm. So mm-hmm. I definitely would prefer to not go with that read, but uh, it is at least possible. Yeah. You know what I mean? So just thought I'd sort of slip that in. Yeah. And even you bringing that out, kind of the furnishings of the temple, as you know, so many people, and I think rightly will say that the setup of the temple is meant to evoke Eden, right? Or this description of Eden is meant to evoke the temple. And so do you have a wrapping back around if it has started with God hovering over the waters well, do you get another reference to creation there with the the construction of the temple also evoking that place of God's presence? Ah, uh, that's nice. That's nice. Uh, can I go back to that for a second? The original creation mm-hmm. references there, because I, I I hear those resonances, but I'm also wondering if, and this could be simultaneous, mm-hmm. if there's some resonances also with the dividing of the waters. Oh, right. And of course, maybe in some sense, those are, those are themselves parallel in that the God who Mm. has authority over the sea for the people to pass through is, is acting on an original authority expressed in the organizing of the waters in creation. Right. So, I mean, I mean, so it's not an either or Mm -hmm. I just thought I'd ask it's the thundering and yes. And then a third waters moment is the enthroned at the flood. Right, right. Moment in verse 10, you know, which seems to suggest that, I mean, the way I always put it when I pray this psalm in class is to say, even as the flood waters rise, the Lord is still enthroned. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's three different kind of water moments in scripture that are sort of interconnected, this chaotic power. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know how that registers for for you. Do you see any exodus here or would you say the creation narrative is the dominant illusion? I think you're correct that it is meant to be evocative of both. Like when you talk about one, right? Because that is so really, that is the creation of the people being redeemed out of slavery, out of the the persecution of Pharaoh. So that's creational. And then the language is meant to evoke that. So I think it's double. But as I as I mentioned earlier, this voice shaking the wilderness, right? Flashing forth flames of fire. I mean, that's very much Sinai language. So And Kadesh would be a wilderness down exactly, in Sinai, correct? Exactly. Right. So then we've got the north and south moment mm, too, right? I did a quick true. on Syrian, oh, by the way. Oh yes, what is it? I, I think it's at least I mean, I'd have to I would double check this exactly. kind of thing. From quick web-based research, Sirion is is another name for uh, Mount Hermon. Oh, okay. Which would take you up just right at the border yeah. with Lebanon, correct? Uh, yes. So, I mean, and the other thing that strikes me about Lebanon, and it didn't on the first pass through, but cedars of Lebanon. And again, I would want to double check my memory here, but isn't that where they get the beams for? Bingo. Yes. Yep, that's all laid out very clearly in First Kings. Right. So cedars from Lebanon come down on ships, yeah. and that's how the temp Solomon's temple is built. Right. Right. So, so then that's implying a shaking that this shaking of the voice is maybe happening in the temple too, which is pretty bonkers. Because I, I think when we think of that's a technical 
exegetical term, by the way, bonkers. <laughs> so, but I don't know about you, but I imagine you'd be in the same boat because as a he, as scholar of the book of Hebrews, when I think of temple, I think of sacrifice. I think of right. uh, what we, I think of intercession petition. I think of like offering something up to God mm-hmm. as it were. Right. And um, presentation sacrifice. Right. And so the imagery of the temple as a place in which God is speaking, mm-hmm. you know, links this up with a whole different sort of tradition, which right. of like Isaiah being in the temple and God mm. speaking, right? Yes. Or yes. It, as it, it's a shift from the priestly to the prophetic, as it were. Opening two verses is very priestly, right? Yeah. Hey, we're going to ascribe glory to God. But it, but it's, it's a prophetic, I'm meaning prophetic, not in the sense of the prophets. I mean, prophetic in the sense of the voice of the Lord, the structure of prophecy, God speaking, you know, with judgment and grace into his people towards his people with power, which then makes me kind of wonder, like, what is voice even, you know, what is it, what is it intended to mean here? Yeah. Because it's a voice that actually does things. It, it doesn't I, seem to have like a content. That's true. That's <laughs> it's true. Just it's doing stuff, blowing stuff up. Absolutely. <laughs> no, that strikes me. And it, it, uh, like, I mean, even in the functioning of the tabernacle and the, t- well, and I feel like I have to separate those. Um, yes, good. Because, and even the word here might be palace. It could mean the heavenly temple. Right, right. So it's tricky, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking, when do those who are involved in the actions of the tabernacle or temple hear God speak? Right? That is not like, I think about Moses going Zechariah? to meet God in the tent of meeting. Yes. Um, Talking with God face to face that little bit. Right. But in the temple, like in the kind of functioning of the temple, Right, it's the duty of the people and the priests to offer praise and prayer, and as you mentioned, sacrifice. Uh, and God's presence is there to accept the sacrifice, but you don't get kind of <laughs> the voice behind the curtain, right? Like the booming, like uh, that just doesn't happen unless I'm. I mean, Isaiah is a very interesting, but. Isaiah, but, but Isaiah is kind of the exception that proves the rule. That's why that scene sticks out like a sore thumb. Exactly. Exactly. So what I mean is there's not like a ritual moment in which the people pause so they can hear God's voice. There you go. Yeah. Which then makes me think that even hearing, I mean, it's important that it's the phrase is not the word of God. Yeah. It's the voice. Uh Uh-huh. Which uh-huh. makes me think Darish. that this could be associated. I don't know. This is pure conjecture at this mm. point. But could there be an association here with with the Shekinah sort of like the sound? I want. It almost makes me want to wonder. Could we translate it sound? Oh. I think that's a legitimate translation. It would right. be in Greek. I don't know Hebrew that well, but you know, phone gets translated voice in the New Testament a lot. But it's it it also works for sound, and oh. and it's the sound of the Lord could be a game. I mean, it's, it's one of those thought experiments. What happens when we hear it? Cause the sound of the presence of God filling the temple, could yeah. this be also alluding to that moment? Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. The association with thundering and even waters, right? I mean, waters, mighty waters are noisy. Uh, mm-hmm. That kind of rush flames and earthquake. These things make noises. That's right. 
It could be saying all these sounds in nature are manifestations of the sound of God as the creator. I think that's one side of it. Another side is that he's louder than all of those things, uh right? He's superior to it. Right. There's both in and then there's over it. And there's probably more, but I'll just leave it at those two for now. But (laughs) Which immediately makes me think of on Pentecost when the spirit comes, it is both flame and rushing wind, like a sound of God's presence coming. Is Luke even there kind of calling forth this theme in the Psalms in which God's presence makes noises. I don't know. That's I, that's really striking. I mean, I right. Think, and the Pentecost scene yeah. is then parallel to, in some ways, the baptism scene at the beginning of right. exactly. the first volume. Exactly. This is linked with in the lectionary, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that could be really fruitful and really fun. Right. The sound of this voice yeah. from heaven. Yeah. Speaking the favor and election of Jesus Messiah, even though there's also the the gentle dove. Right, right. right. It sort of parallels the flame of fire. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, as far as preaching, I I think I would be excited to explore the possibility of these multiple levels of kind of poetic evocation. So creation narrative, the Exodus wilderness law, Sinai narrative, um, even the building of the temple, yeah, I think there would be lots of ways. And then one could say that could be a really robust, healthy sermon on the psalm itself, which then at the end, one could say, look at all of these themes which are moving into what happens at the baptism. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's fun. Well, let's take a quick break and explore that some more. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. We're looking at Psalm 29 as a uh, text for uh, early January. For If you're following the Christian year, this would be for the, the remembrance of Christ's baptism, the first Sunday in the Epiphany season. Yeah, so Amy, how might you preach this text or pray it or sing it or live it? <laughs> Don't feel too latched to the, the question of preaching because Psalms are have lots of ways of being expressed. But. Yeah. Um, it made me reflect when I was thinking about today, I can only think of one instance in which I have chosen to preach the Psalm for a whole sermon. And it was for a graduation service um, at, at where I teach at Wheaton. And it was so rich. I think my worry with Psalms is that they're repetitive, right? You get kind of themes or words even coming up over and over again. And this is very true here, this repetition of uh, voice, coal, coal, coal. But I found in my preparation for that, that even that repetitiveness was really beneficial to drive particular points home uh, of how to, to live into the psalm, I think is a good way of putting it. So I would just encourage listeners that if they haven't done the practice of, of preaching psalms, that it's definitely worth having in your in your practice a few times a year, I think. And people really benefit, people love Psalms, right? They, you'd have a lot of people that are praying them regularly. Um, so don't be, uh, sometimes I think, oh, it's poetry. I'm not very good at poetry, uh, but just solid exegesis. You'll be led through the repetition, I think, in healthy ways. So that's his preparation to say, then 
how might how might I press into it? As we were saying last, I would first start by this exploration of maybe other stories. But then I really loved what you said about the structure itself. I wouldn't want attending to either creation or exodus or the building of the temple to distract me from the actual psalm. So then I'd want to come back to it equipped with the knowledge of those stories, especially maybe some verbal links, and then look at the structure again. I feel like we haven't said as much about that final benediction piece. And because, as you said in our prayer, that's the one kind of request, I, I might I might start there, or at least mentally, I might start there, right? Like if the aim of kind of the message is to ask for strength and peace, um, if that's kind of my preaching goal, then how do I need to get there? And it is very striking, this image of the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. Uh, That seems like a place of personal connection. If one feels deluged, then God is the one to whom you can look up and say, no, God is sovereign. Yeah, I I might start there. Yeah, and there's kind of, I like that. I think starting with the end in mind is Mm. actually always a good idea in (laughs) preaching. But especially if we want to think of, it could be, I'm just going to pitch this. It could be that preaching Psalms, one of the ways of thinking of preaching the Psalms is inviting people and teaching people how to pray. And it might be part of why a lot of us as preachers don't want to preach on the Psalms is because Mm. this is when the people talk back to us. Mm. (laughs) It's not Mm. always us getting to talk to the people on behalf of God. The arrow is pointing the other direction. It's the words of the people in God's presence and even spoken to God sometimes, less so in this particular one, but that's the context of it at least. Right. And that makes us uncomfortable because we either don't want to tell people how to pray or we ourselves are not people of prayer and struggle to talk about prayer. We know how to talk about um, other things. And so I appreciate what you say. That last verse really is where it, comes home Mm -hmm. and to really start from that point of view of these two petitions, these two benedictions, strength and peace, Mm -hmm. strength and shalom. You know, know, if you haven't done a riff on what peace means, shalom, uh, it's a good week for that. If you just did that two weeks earlier at Christmas, (laughs) then maybe you don't want to repeat that. But these these twin gifts, you know, and we should assume that there's some parallelism, that those are somehow connected. That's true. Right. You know? That's good. It also strikes me that at the beginning of the psalm, you, you, it begins with strength, right? Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. I missed that. Whoa, inclusio. Yes. Right. Well, yeah, those are those are fun to find. But but then you don't have you don't have peace repeated, but it does. It is interesting to me that what the people are told to do is worship the Lord in holy splendor. And then could that be seen as, um, and so I, I worry that this could be too cheap, right? Like, well, how do you find peace? Worship the Lord. That feels a little simplistic to just say it that way. But my gut is in studying the Psalm itself, it would lead you to a more robust articulation because I think that's actually true. How, how yeah. does one live in true peace? Well, one lives in, in perpetual worship. 
but but being able to dial that out. And then the question I'd want to ask And the fact that this voice is so kind of scary and destructive right, is al- right. is already an is it helps to complicate a kind of simplistic peacefulness. That's good. Right. Yeah. So to recognize that the peace that's going to be achieved here is the kind of God making the world right. Yes. Which means turning upside down the things that are wrong about the world, right? So it's not a cheap piece. So I think that 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 voice language, that that kind of powerful and even destructive voice. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, even just the dialectic of sorry for that word, but of strength and peace. Right. That's you know, true. That's true. Yeah. Is as a as a kind of endpoint, you know, there are different aspects of the whole psalm that kind of lead us that way. Right. Well, even you're, I'm just sitting with this for a moment that the voice of God is destructive. I don't disagree, right? Um, that becomes really clear. Creative the destruction. to whirl, strips <laughs> the forest bare, shakes, breaks. But yet all of those illusions, the breaking of the cedars, even, and then you get really the same kind of idea, right? God is doing something to oaks and the forest, like this all tree stuff. Then, well, I have two ideas. Number one, that any whatever destruction is happening of the forest is, I think, meant to build up the temple, right? It's to create yeah. the place of so it's not destruction. It doesn't end there. Uh, but then, it's creative, creative destruction. Out, saying yeah. that out loud, that there's a whole lot of stuff going on with trees. If there is creation narrative here, then. There's some really important trees in the creation narrative. Are they- oh! I mean, and that could be right now. I feel like uh, how much I love the fathers that they I was find to say, you sound everywhere. Yeah, right. But you sound like a fourth century, <laughs> right. you know, Bishop, <laughs> the tree of life, right. know, the tree of, <laughs> but then, you know, I tell my students, and I think this is why don't tell anyone, but I'm more of a theologian than a biblical studies person is that I just am not uncomfortable with those things. Like I do think there's tethers in language, there's tethers in historical situatedness. But if there is one author of this entire text, and it is poetic, I think we're invited to make uh, theologically imaginative connections. So yeah. I dig it. I love it. But I I do think what you're saying about strength and peace, well, the question I might want to pose is if the author of this psalm is asking for God to give strength and peace to the people who are gathered for worship, then how does his frequent repetition of the powerful voice of God, how is that meant to lead to strength and peace for the people? So that's, again, a way of kind of working backwards. That's probably how I would pose the question. How do all the other parts of the Psalms contribute to to strength and peace? Yeah. Well, I can't help but think, again, this is another analogy and how many of these you would bring in explicitly into a sermon as a judgment call, but I'll mention it here for what it's worth. It almost has a, a connection with the Elijah story when he's down in the wilderness, actually Kadesh. You know, the, but the voice was not in the fire. The right. voice was not in the whirlwind. Yes. Right? Not in the, God was not, not the voice, it mm-hmm. says, but these loud things. Mm, okay, right? good. Right. That God did send. They are under God's control. And then the still small voice or the sound of sheer silence. Mm. And, and what is it that he gets there? He gets 
a sense of peace that God is in fact in control, but also the strength to go back and do something, right? Mm -hmm. So there's both empowerment and releasement kind of combined together, strength and peace together. And again, whether you'd reference that story or not, at least there's a factor in maybe the way that one might read a text like this. And I must admit, if I were encouraging anyone to do anything with this in preaching or teaching or, or worship with Psalms in particular, especially one like this, the way it's structured to take a little time away from maybe the prep of what you're going to say and put a little more extra time into how you're just going to read this text and perform it. You know what I mean? Really take your time. Yeah. Cause like it really builds if you really camp out mm-hmm. from three to, to, to verse nine Build the voice, the voice, the yeah. voice up and up and up and then pause and then all in his temple cry glory. Mm-hmm. You know, like that comes down mm-hmm. as a kind of, that lands really strong Yeah, to really practice it, yeah. to practice reading it out loud, not just think it through, but really read the text out loud and hear it, Yeah, get the rhythms of it, get the repetitions of it. That's wise. Yeah. And even that, that kind of movement from... Well, it feels like you have that at the end. The Lord gives strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. You've already mentioned the paradox of that. I was reflecting um, earlier today, listening to another person speak about preaching, and um, they were warning against a temptation in some of our churches to end our messages like a boot camp, kind of with the message of like, try harder. It does strike me that if if it closed with may the Lord give strength, you could maybe hear like, well, okay, God has given me strength. I better, you know, work really God hard. God is strong and so am I. Exactly. Yeah. But then that peace, peace is not the antithesis of strength, but there is a different focus there that there is a restingness, right? A kind of that, it's not you that's going to do this. You are resting in what God has done. And really the whole Psalm is about the might of God and not your own. So that movement from strength to peace seems to prevent that kind of ending on too heavy an emphasis on human performance. No, I think that's spot on. And that's why the location of the enthronement at the end is also really good to kind of say, he's enthroned. We're not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're ascribing him glory. And yet he will give us what we need within his reign, within his enthronement. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Amy. This was a blast. I always love digging into the scriptures. I love being in a place where, um, yeah, I I didn't have, you know, years of experience to bring. I think this is more natural. So this is good. (laughs) It was fun. It was great stuff. Thanks to all our listeners. Of course, thanks to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this show without them. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Uh, Thanks to our uh, patron saints who support the show. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash fresh text and see some ways you can do that. And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.